You are listening to the Son of a Pitch podcast and my name is Vin Sasha. Look, it's been a long time no talk and you're probably wondering why. Well, to put it simply, the last few months on planet Earth have been interesting. We started off with COVID kicking all of our asses and reminding the human race just how fragile this thing we call life can truly be. And it's brought out the good and bad in, in all of us, I think. It's kind of truly shining a flashlight in some real extremes of culture and both the incredible selfishness and selflessness of the human race have been on display. Here in Australia, I feel like Max and I have been incredibly lucky in that we're housed, we're eating well and haven't had any of our loved ones impacted, especially in a physically detrimental sense by the virus. But for others, this is not the case. Many have lost their income, many have lost their sense of worth, and many have lost their loved ones to the disease. So we wanted to express our willingness to support any listeners that have been affected where we can, and also to to kind of call for people to work incredibly hard at recognizing the importance of empathy in these times for their fellow person. Um, You've got to listen and you've got to act where possible to help those who've been caught out in this terrible situation. Secondly, we've witnessed the Black Lives Matter movement obviously begin to agitate the cultural malaise that exists with regard to issues of race and racism within the US and here at home in Australia. And again, we wanted to express our sadness for those who've ever had to deal with issues of racial discrimination and our support for those acting and advocating for change. As Malcolm said, by any means necessary. I'd strongly recommend for our listeners to begin listening to the Brown Riot podcast. Um, That's a podcast just like ours, which uh, interviews those who are culturally diverse within our local Australian advertising industry and illuminates their experience. Um, It's both eye-watering and eye-opening listening at times, and I guarantee it'll make you a better person and a better planner as, as a result. Finally, I just want to express my own desire for those out there listening to take the time to reflect. The rhetoric out there in the world at the moment seems to suggest like the aim should be for us all to return the world back to normal, which in my view, and I'm not speaking for Max, Bianca or Tilly here, is absolutely terrible. Like, where have you been? Normal is quite obviously being shown by the unparalleled disasters of 2020 to be fundamentally flawed um, and completely irresponsible and unsustainable to return to. So if you think status quo is the answer to our woes, you're either not being listening or you're being purposefully irresponsible at this point. So I just wanted to put that out there. That's obviously what I think. It's it's not the views of everyone on the podcast. Now, uh, this episode, we, we talk to one of Australia's best strategists. Her name is Alison Tilling, and she works at VML YNR as the head of strategy nationwide. There aren't too many people you can ask about their first job and they come back with uh, writing for a Bolivian newspaper and interviewing the vice president of Bolivia about what he likes to eat for dinner. Um, <laughs> so there, there's a lot of like going back into her, into her history and, and it really gives you a kind of a, a great picture of how you can come from anywhere and get into strategy. And I know a lot of people listening can kind of empathize with that or are in a situation in which they, they kind of feel like they're coming from nowhere into the, into the field. We also talked to Ali about working for Steve jobs uh, she was one of the people that worked on apple's ipod campaign when it was kicking off with silhouettes um, as part of tbwa uh, over in london and obviously uh we, we talked to her about the the craft itself um and then for the pitch we have a really good pitch uh this time uh the brief has been written by max for once uh <laughs> it's it's a brief on nutlex uh which is a product with an alternative uh to margarine um so yeah what what 
Ali does with that is absolutely amazing and to be able to find something interesting in something so boring uh, is obviously an incredible skill and one that Ali has uh, in spades. And finally I just want to say don't forget uh, Miami Ad School is waiving the application fee for anyone who listens to the Son of a Pitch podcast. Uh, all you have to do is email us at podcastsoap at gmail.com and we will answer any questions you have about the course uh, and also put you in touch with Miami Ad School to get that application fee waived. Um, Both Max and I went to Miami Ad School. It's how we got our first jobs as strategists in the industry. Email in to podcastsoap at gmail.com. That's podcastsoap at gmail.com and we'll get back to you ASAP. Uh, Anyway, enjoy the show. Great episode. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Bye. Yeah, uh, son of a pitch. Yeah, this is something you don't want to miss. Uh-huh. Interviews with creatives and the best strategists. All the top in Australia who steady making moves. Uh-huh. The podcast that puts you right in the pitch room. Yeah, professionals in this market. Uh, time to get it started. Uh, give us some complex problems. So let's see how you can solve it. Tune in with some Aussies. I bet you can't resist. Yeah, yeah, get it hyped. This is son of a pitch. Dylan. Yep, we're we, uh Let's go. Let's jump right in. Okay, Alison oh, Tilling, welcome Hi. to the Pitch Podcast. How official is this? It's so official. I feel I've never felt more official in my entire life. <laughs> but please, 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 um, please call me Ali. Ali. Okay. Yes. Well, otherwise, we, it's we, a bit we, like my mum's telling me off. You know. <laughs> Alison. Yeah. Fair enough. We, we totally get it. Totally get it. Um. Yeah, I was gonna say it must be a good break from the uh, from the WebEx conversations, but it is essentially just another WebEx conversation, which is pretty lame. Um, but I think we wanted to kick off this uh, conversation yeah. by talking about a bit of a gem that we found, a nugget that we pulled from the archives of your past. Yes, so we uh, we found that you were a journalist for something called the Bolivian Times. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about that? For my sins, for my sins, I was. So well, So I'm really old is the first thing to set up in this conversation. So we're going back to like, I guess the year 2000 here. So, so I finished uni and didn't know what to do with myself. And so thought, I'm just going to get as far away from uni, which was Nottingham, as I can. Um, and sort of pretty much stuck a pin in the map and it came up as Bolivia. So I was like, well, you know haven't really heard of Bolivia, if I'm perfectly honest, didn't really probably know where Bolivia was. Um, But I thought, I'll go there, give that a go. So (laughs) packed up up there. I um, and I'd done a bit of writing at uni. um, So just kind of went around the papers of which there weren't many, or certainly weren't many that were like English language, because my Spanish is not, you know, muy bueno. Um, (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and, um, yeah managed to sort of land a bit of a bit of a job writing for them which was amazing actually I mean it was a bit mad it's definitely Bolivia is kind of quite a well I don't know what so much what it's like now but it's quite a country of extremes um there are a lot of kind of roadblocks and freeze-dried potatoes and llama fetuses and things like that but really an amazing country like just had the most phenomenal time a country of a lot of extremes and stuff and um did quite a bit of writing so i'd go on the like on the bus to peru and do a bit of like articles about peru and then come back and stuff so it was, it was good it was a bit of an adventure 
what was that interview experience like at the Bolivian Times? <laughs> um, somewhat stilted because it took place in Spanish. <laughs> I think, to be honest, I, I don't think it was any massive skill on my part that um, landed me that role. I'd love to say that it. I'd love to say that it was, but um, no. I think I. I think they just. Uh, I think they were happy to have someone to help out at the time. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, it was good, and it definitely it landed me in a lot of situations that, looking back on it, are pretty crazy. Like I ended up interviewing the vice president of Bolivia, who at the time was. Um, the guy who's recently been the the president, actually, so Evo Morales. So that was kind of a bit, and I think I just, like, looking back on it, I don't know if this happens to you, but I look back on certain situations of my life and just go, like, what, like, what were you thinking? Like, I think I asked him, like, what his favourite food was or something. I don't know, like, I just, this was not, we're not talking, like, investigative journalism at its finest. What, what did he say? What was his favourite meal? <laughs> well, he liked, so there's these cool things in Bolivia, Um that you get from like the street stalls and stuff called salteños, which are like little, they're like little donuts, only they're filled with, I'm going to say savory food. And I think we probably don't want to get more exact than that. Um, it's probably best not to dwell on, on it. But um, he was a big, he was a big salteño eater and kind of like a big man. And it was kind of quite, it was a bit intimidating, if I'm honest. I think I sort of, I think I was meant to talk to him about I don't know, imports and exports or something. And I ended up just being like, oh, I'm really scared of you. So I'm just going to ask you about stupid things like your favourite food, um, which has been a bit of a kind of, a bit of a recurring theme of my life, really. Like the stupid things, not the food, although food's obviously also important. Um, but yeah. Was that, the, was that the headline in the papers the next day? Bolivian vice president <laughs> likes potatoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Likes freeze-dried dry, freeze potatoes and salteños. Um, yeah, something like that. Something like that. I think the, um, if I can just put this into context, I think the title, The Bolivian Times, not to like take away from the amazingness of this publication, but I think that it's, it's generous. Like the, the category yeah. that puts it in in your head is, is generous, let, let's say, yeah. Right, so it's kind of like the Warren Amble Chronicle of uh, Bolivia. Yes. Yeah, I'd say that's that's yeah. probably closer to the mark than the actual than the actual times. Um, so, oh. but that was it was a lot of fun. But what what was the romance about Bolivia? I mean, like, were you reading lots of Paul Theroux? Were you getting into the travel novels of South America? Like, what 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 about the romance of of uh, of that place drew you there? Because that's a dangerous place to just rock up and go to. Yeah, like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it is a dangerous place to rock up to, especially, like, on your own when you're pretty young. Um, but I think um, I sort of always had a bit of a liking of a llama, um, just as a sort of general point. I'm not sure you really need to go to the to really kind of experience that. Yeah, exactly. Um, my... Um, my aunt spent a lot of time in Bolivia when she was younger. So there was some of the stories kind of that she told. Um, always just liked the kind of um, the mountains. And it's like, I had this, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm quite a sad person in like many respects. And one of those respects is like when I was young, I really loved like books of facts. Like I had this book called like Osborne, A Thousand World Facts, which I just thought was the most amazing <laughs> thing ever. And it was all about how, um, so like the capital of, La, of um, Bolivia is called La Paz and it's the highest um, like big city in the world. And I just remember like 
just reading that and thinking that's just it's just going to be this other world and it was um but i remember when i was there i kind of had a bit of a disaster because there's a lot of stray dogs in la paz and i hadn't had all my rabies vaccinations and i got um, <laughs> bitten by this dog when i was out running because i uh, yeah it it was a bit of a strange time of my life so anyway i got bitten by this potentially rabid dog and then i kind of had to go and get all these injections into my stomach and yeah it all kind of went a bit went a bit um a bit south in that respect but anyway still still here to tell the the potential baby's tale so i think we can put that one behind us um but that probably should have been what i wrote the article about um but um yeah, it, it's just a, it is a place of, it's funny that you use the word romance though, because it is quite a kind of, it's a place on a really dramatic scale and it's really beautiful in kind of quite a, almost quite a bleak kind of way, some of it. And then you've got this like jungle and um, more kind of Amazonian bits, I guess. Um, and there's this road that goes between the high bit of Bolivia and the jungle, which is always was the most dangerous road in the world um so there's kind of a lot of yeah there's a lot of danger and i'm not somebody who normally like i'm not somebody who like throws themselves off things or goes skydiving or stuff like that so it's probably a bit of an unusual choice for me um but yeah I, I loved it and i would um yeah i'd go back there in a heartbeat or at least for a holiday although obviously not at the moment but yeah <laughs> Sorry, I don't know, it, might, it might actually be safer than a lot of other parts in the world at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it might well be. It might well be at the moment. You'll swiftly learn that I find it really hard to come to the end of a sentence. So, because just all these other thoughts get in the way. So, I will try really hard to actually close my thoughts. Um, but it's great to be taken back to um, to thinking about Bolivia. Actually, it's kind of it's a pretty. Um, it's it was kind of a pretty defining experience um in a lot of in a lot of different ways and um yeah I, I loved it perhaps getting bitten by the dog and getting the rabies just transferred a little bit of aggressiveness and tenacity uh into you because um you went and became a, a, an account manager after this uh, I did. what a segue yeah what rabies <laughs> to account management yeah That's exactly it's it is the uh, ultimate ultimate career path yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. How, yeah. How did you do that? What What was it about account management that drew you in? And how the hell did you go from the Bolivian times to being an account manager? Well, I did do something else in between. So if memory serves, I got back from Bolivia, had a bit of a like, have I got rabies panic, then decided to put that behind me, <laughs> probably for the best. Um, and then um, I ended up actually going back to uni. So I went to... Um, I went and did a master's in medieval history because you know that because that's useful in in every scenario of life um and it's one of the differences actually i think between um the uk and australia of which obviously there are many but um the education system or kind of what you do your degree in in the uk can be a lot more sort of random and esoteric than here it, it people are a lot more driven and ambitious and kind of do their degree and the thing they want to do Whereas I sort of didn't really know what I wanted to do other than not be bitten by another potentially rabid dog. Um, so yeah, went back to uni, did this useless, but amazingly interesting, I found, Masters in Medieval History, which was all about like 10th century law. Um, and I had this, so I did it, I did that at um, Oxford and I had the, like the professor that you would want if you think about Oxford University in your head, like this person, he was like 
as old as the hills and any time I went to see him, didn't matter whether it was eight o'clock in the morning or, you know, five o'clock in the evening, always offered me a sherry. Like that was kind of the way every interaction began. Like it was just kind of the classic, what you would absolutely want from history at Oxford. Um, so I was really lucky in that respect. Um, he was a he was a really, a really smart man and he demanded a lot of the people that he kind of, that he cheated. Um, and I remember well the conversation where he kind of, politely but very firmly outlined that there was no academic future for me in history (laughs) yeah like no and I really like and it was quite good to have that clarity I think so um so anyway I um I finished that still didn't really know what I wanted to do had always really liked ads I mean I just I have this I have a really clear memory and I was thinking about this the other day actually of um I had, um, obviously, when I was young, it was all about kind of VHS tapes. And that's how you recorded the the t- you know, the TV stuff that you wanted to watch. And I remember I had, um, I had a VHS tape recorded. Of, I can't even remember what the film was now. But I really remember it had this, this um, aerial, aerial laundry powder ad on it. And I just remember becoming like obsessed by this freaking ad, which now I look back on it, it's like nothing special at all. Um, But I remember just being obsessed by like, how did they get those people to tell that story in that way for a laundry powder? And it just kind of, and so I kind of had a bit of a a curiosity, I suppose, about how ads came to be. Um, And then- um, Do you you remember what the brand was? Because maybe we can play find this in the archives and, and play it back in oh, yeah 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 i found it i'll send it to you it's um it's it's aerial aerial personal depending on where you are yeah, I, think yeah. it was, I think it was aerial yeah. yeah yeah and it had this classic like even aerial won't fix that and then obviously aerial <laughs> did fix that <laughs> like wow cliffhanger shocker why can't my liquid shift this grease stain at 40 degrees it's easy to shift greasy stains at 40 degrees just easy wax crayon out of my daughter's party dress at 40 degrees shoe polish at 40 degrees makeup off my best blouse with a liquid that's not easy it's greasy not if you use aerial liquid look some liquids can't always shift grease at 40 degrees Aerial's better at removing the grease. Hang on, I want to see this for myself. Okay, so aerial liquid shifts grease better than my liquid in your test. But now let's see it work on my clothes and my stains. I have to admit it, aerial liquid really did make that makeup stain look easy. And the shoe polish. And the wax crayon. All at 40 degrees. Prove it for yourself. Aerial liquid makes it easy to shift the greasy stains some liquids um, leave behind. Yeah, I just... uh... I just remember it became a little bit of an obsession. I'm not sure I'm painting myself in the best light in this conversation, but anyway, um, <laughs> we've had rabid dogs and obsessions about laundry. Uh, no, this is, this is prime listening material. <laughs> oh, God. Let me tell you. Um, so what was I going on about? Oh, how did I come to work in account management? Okay, so I've done a pointless but very enjoyable master's degree in medieval history. I've had it made clear to me that my future is not in medieval history. And I've got an ad that I really like. So I decided that potentially there was a career path here. I was lucky enough to um, to happen upon some totally unpaid work experience at um, Leo Burnett in London during um, like a uni holiday, which I was really lucky to be able to do. Um, and I just loved it. And I loved how 
I just remember really like thinking this is a totally insane way to run a business, but isn't it just great? Um, and yeah, loved that. So decided to try and kind of get into that. And um, I did a couple of, um, I think I interviewed for the MSC Saatchi grad scheme, which I didn't get onto because I'm not, I don't think, I think as has already become clear, brutal simplicity of thought is not my forte. Um, <laughs> but the, um, but I did, I remember doing the, so I got into uh, to TBWA London, um, which was a bit more kind of my personality at the time, I guess. But they did it, um, they didn't do it in a traditional kind of interviews kind of way. You had to go and just do a three minute speech about something you were passionate about. And I, so I did this like talk about balls um, in all their many different guises. Um, and they, so they seem to sort of quite like that. I just remember like, again, you know, you have those moments of your life that, that are almost like you can remember exactly where they took place and what it smelt like and looked like and felt like. And I just, like, I can remember what I was wearing and everything. And it was actually interesting because on the interview panel was a guy called Carl Ratcliffe, who's a dear friend of mine. Um, he's in Australia mm -hmm. now as well. Um, and um, I remember him, like, he was so um, friendly. He couldn't contain that he was finding it quite funny, whereas everyone else was trying to remain, like, really straight-faced. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I, I like you. And, um, yeah, now, as I say, uh, um, a dear friend. So that was good. Um, but, yeah, they seemed to quite like that. So I started there. And I was really lucky because it was, it was at a time when – this is when TBWA London had just done the – PlayStation Double Life work. Um, there was a lot of that that kind of momentum in the agency. They were doing a lot of really good work for Adidas, um, all kinds of stuff. And there was a real kind of buzz about the place. Um, and I got to work on Apple, which was amazing. And I actually worked on Apple. It was interesting actually looking back on this because I worked on the Apple account at a time when it was going from kind of very, you know, very niche. It had kind of, I mean, as a business, it had been pretty much on its last legs earlier um and then i was there for the release of the ipod um and all all sorts of stuff and just like loads of adventures coming from that well the shite day kind of culture is as you said like it's very different to the mnc sachi culture yeah um and especially with with regard to that apple business right so like what, what was the feeling in in the agency at that time in london as departed from california oh i mean brilliant like the sense of like the sense of excitement was just really palpable actually like which was which was cool because it was freaking hard work um we did because i remember <laughs> one of my best days in advertising actually was um so i was yeah i was like lowest of the low at this point like i was dogs way doing everything which is great which is actually kind of the way that you learn um so they were doing the um and this was the ipod silhouette ad so they had the i don't know if you you, you may have seen them i was going to ask if you remembered them but you probably oh, they weren't born or something depressing like that but um yeah so there was these those these like there's a green one and a yellow one whatever and so um and steve jobs was coming to paris to to release this new version of the ipad so 
um we had these we had these and we had to organize all this outdoor advertising and he liked to stay in a hotel in paris that was the opposite side of paris to where this um expo was so we had to line the route from his hotel to his to the like expo hall with all these ads right so i had to so i go to paris and make sure all these ads are like up and right and everything's looking good and we'd been told we'd been told he um he liked the yellow one the no we've been told he liked the purple one the best so we had this purple one on high rotation and we'd sourced this like purple carpet for him to do the speech on and all this stuff and anyway about three days before i got this call from la at like four o'clock in the morning of like he doesn't like the purple one he likes the yellow one it's like oh god back to yeah 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 so back to paris like changing the rotation going around with the jc de covan is brilliant some of those funny things right because the experience of it wasn't always kind of super easy but learned a lot and learned a lot about always adhering to a really high standard um which i think is important um and i think um the way that that cult of personality kind of came across was in some pretty um some pretty interesting ways there was definitely there was definitely a lot there was a good kind of seam of fear of him but in a really kind of in quite a positive way that was born of like of born of admiration not born of kind of too much not born of him being sort of horrible in some way or that was always my experience anyway um so that was quite a kind of an interesting tension to work in in a way and i think it's also i remember thinking that working at apple would be quite um would be kind of like fast moving and very um sort of quite a quite a vibe in that kind of way but it actually was quite a kind of quite a slow not slow paced, but quite a reflective environment to work in um, and quite like considered and very, very careful about what each next move was and all of that. And I think that a lot of their success is obviously born of that. But combining that with obviously the, the technology itself um, develops very, very quickly. Um, so, yeah, some interesting kind of some interesting tensions there and some things that weren't necessarily what I was expecting that they would be, which is always, which is always great as well. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed that time a lot. I mean, working on Apple at TVWA was interesting because when I first joined, um, it was definitely at that point of, it was almost, it wasn't so much, it wasn't like the account no one wanted to work on because Apple was still kind of cool and it was obviously the, you know, think different and the, the, the machine for creativity and all that but definitely not the the powerhouse that it turned into. Um, so it was interesting being kind of part of that transition for, to this kind of uber cool, uber successful brand. Um, and that was, yeah, that was great. I, I'm really lucky to have been a part of that. And, and I made some very good friends in the process as well. So, yeah. Was the vision there for Apple at the time? Working on the account, did you see it becoming into this creative behemoth and, and the company that it is today? Or or was it a bit of a surprise that they became what they became? It's funny because at the time, I don't think I would have, I probably didn't have either the experience or the the time, frankly, to notice what the vision was. And I think that was what part of the learning curve for me was because I probably worked on it for about three years. So 
obviously you do get quite a lot of learning in that time. And I definitely, during that time, I didn't transition to strategy at that point, but I did get a lot more involved in the, um, at least the kind of strategic thinking behind the scenes, I suppose. So that was that was what kind of really developed my interest in that area. Um, but I think if like looking back on it now, I can see the seeds of it. It's more like that kind of thing than than really at the time. I remember um, doing a big project on like the digital hub and how digital was going to be really kind of part of the home and smart fridges and all this kind of stuff, which, you know, looking back on that now, some of the threads of that were very, very prescient considering that was sort of late 2002. Um, so yeah, definitely some things like that. I mean, I think when you have um, a company whose vision is so strong and who, I, I guess a company who kind of, who knows what's, what they're about in some very kind of, almost kind of quite fundamental ways. When you're about kind of intuition and creativity and, and those kind of things, you can, you can really adhere to that and you can let it, you can let it change you at the same time as holding fast to it because it does give you that flex. So yeah, pretty, um, pretty interesting thing to be part of. I guess it's kind of like the ultimate company from a strategy point of view, given that one, they are so thoughtful about absolutely everything they do in brand. Two, they've got the creative lens. And three, they're kind of like the masters of distinctiveness. Yes. Like it, even before anyone was like into Byron Sharp and knew all of the codes and symbology and everything, like they had that down to a T. So working on that must have like been really good to kind of know that these were the most important fundamentals, right? Which is kind of lucky and, and good at the same time. As I say, I'm just laughing at the notion of being into Byron Sharp. Although you're right, of course, <laughs> everyone is into Byron Sharp. Um, but the, yeah, but you're absolutely right. Like, you're I mean, the, that, <laughs> <laughs> but the, like the white headphones were a distinctive brand asset before anybody knew what really what a distinctive brand asset was. And certainly like the level of, absolute care and scrutiny over where the brand even in its simplest form even in just the logo like where the brand showed up the absolute rigor applied to that i think absolutely fits with that philosophy um and kind of thinking about um about the the way those assets worked as well like i think they were definitely not a, definitely not a company and i'm not i haven't really been involved with them for for a very long time so that I'm not as sure of this now but definitely um a company that weren't afraid to to make changes and to realize when something's tired like you know moving on from like so silhouettes for iPod like that was a very kind of distinctive campaign and it you know the the whole iPod plus iTunes ecosystem it was about music it was about enjoyment of dance all those kinds of things like moving on from that would be something that a lot of companies would would kind of shy away from and find really hard um and i think they just had very clear-cut ways of making decisions about those things it's it's funny how those principles have remained even now i mean looking at the latest apple ad where the with the with the airpods and the girls taking the airpods in or, yeah. or playing them playing them and the power of music i mean there's this great flume track that underpins that whole ad but the yeah. power of music to take you to this new place and this new environment and just a world filled with color i mean it's almost like an evolution of that ad, like almost 20 years later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I suppose it's kind of, and I think that's right. It's almost the, it's separating the the things that really are the strategy, which are, which is kind of that love of music and that 
the celebration of that versus the things that might signify that along the way. So yes, silhouettes we've moved on from, but to your point, mm -hmm. the things about the the way that people, I suppose, interact with music through things like ear, ear pods have, have the AirPods, sorry, have um, have absolutely stayed. I do remember like doing um, doing a competitive review because that's what you do when you're an account manager. You have to do your competitive <laughs> reviews, which I think is right. And I really remember doing this one in um, 2003 that was about all the other um, music players out there. And they all were just, they really were all about lists of features and how many mm. songs you could fit and what the megabytes. And even then they weren't actually, sorry, I shouldn't say that. They weren't about how many songs it held. They were about how many megabytes it held and, and all that mm. kind of stuff. And it just, and it, like looking back on it, it seems like such a simple decision to make. Of course, they of course they would have taken this position of love of music, but actually at the time it was so distinctive and such a shift and such a kind of disruptive category breaker. Like what a great thing to, I mean, not, and when I say lucky to be part of it, I mean, I was the minute part of it that kind of made the, sure the purple ad was in the right place. Like I'm not going to overstate my role <laughs> here. But um, yeah, an amazing, an amazing learning experience, definitely. Here's a fun fact. No word rhymes with purple from a, uh, thought you might like that. I do like that. I do like that. I'm going to get into the fun facts. I'm not going to be able to concentrate now. I'm going to be trying to find, find a word that well, rhymes. I guess you could say that, uh, that silhouettes was kind of a long idea, right? Yep. And that's where you ended up next, was the home of the long idea um, at BMF. But that terrible segue aside, I mean, before we go that over That was there, quite a segue. I love it. Before we okay. go over the channel, uh, let's talk about Wyden and Kennedy because we saw that was on your uh, that was on your history as well. How did yeah. you get involved with those guys? So um, I so I'd been at TBWA probably about three three and a half years, and I actually. Um, moved off working on Apple um, just because you kind of couldn't almost take it for all that long <laughs> um, in the nice in the nicest possible way. Um, and I started working on Channel 5, which I really loved. And again, with Carl um, and another person who's been a great kind of um, teacher, I suppose, for me is a guy called Pete Heskett, worked with him on Channel 5, which I loved. Um, but I think I just got to that point. I mean, I was probably, I don't know, 20 five six by this point and i think you just oh i was somebody who needed a lot of different experiences at that point like i'd done the various degrees i've been to bolivia I'd done all that stuff that i was really enjoying some of the change there that i was lucky enough to be able to a afford and b have happened so i'm not i'm very lucky to have to have had that and i'm really grateful for that um but I think it just felt like time for another change, to be honest. Um, so yeah, kind of looked around at, and the the kind of hot agencies, if I met, <laughs> that sounds so, I'm not somebody who should say hot in that way. I'm really not. Oh, the okay. agencies that were great. I just, was, I can't. Was Byron Clark in any of these agencies? Because then you got a sizzling opportunity. Yeah, but Byron, Byron, absolutely ups the hot factor um so the agencies that were doing good work let's say in london at the time um fallon was definitely one of those bbh um mm. and then widen and kennedy 
And so I think I sort of had some interviews at a few and I really liked the people at Widen and had a few chats. And yeah, again, like was really lucky to um, to get in there probably when it was about to start the main growth, I think. Um, and it was interesting because most it just wasn't the right place for me at the right time. I mean, it mm. is a great agency. It's an amazing agency. It's full of great people. And I must say, as a place to learn strategy, really awesome. Um, I've worked with um, someone there who, again, is like one of the people who's really kind of helped shape my career, Simon McCrudden, who also lives in Australia now. Um, but it just, I don't know whether it was the time of life I was at or, I don't know, just, it just didn't, it, it almost felt it is quite a strong culture there and almost kind of quite a clicky kind of culture. It was a bit like that at the time. And I think I just didn't really didn't really find the right place for me. And then this offer from the um, client I'd worked with at Apple kind of said, would you like to come and join join me over here? And I sort of thought, well, you know, I haven't really haven't really gelled here yet. So maybe it's a good time time to make a move. So but I mean, look, that's not that's probably more about me than it is about them um i mean some of the ali, work they've done advice, sorry ali, would you give that advice sorry ali would you give that advice to uh young young planners or young execs or in a, who, who just landed in a new role and they're not really merging yet because i know mm-hmm. yeah the traditional advice out there is stick it out for a year stick it out for two years mm-hmm. would you suggest jumping earlier to find the place that's right for you i i think that you should, I always, the advice I always give, sorry, let me start that sentence again. <laughs> the, um, the probably what I would say would be, you've got to kind of, you've got to make the best of every situation. So you've got to really work out what it is that's not gelling, I think. And I think that's probably what I didn't do. Um, but I kind of, I don't think that a job, a role, a, a, a job is something to stick with for too long if you really are not feeling it um i mean there's plenty of things in life probably more human related that are you know that you do need to give that to um but i think you can and especially probably more towards the start of your career like why not give something else a go um if you can now obviously it's really it's kind of easy to say that when it's easy to say that now, if, you know, if I look around the current environment, even before kind of the C word happened, it's a, it's pretty tough out there. So there's that consideration as well. I'm not saying it's, it's easy and it's just kind of, oh, you know, not really happy today, so let's just make a change. But I suppose overall, I'd say if you, if you can and you're not happy and you've tried to work out why, at least then you can, if, if you've given a go at thinking what, what isn't working for you, you can make your next decision better, probably. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also this other insight in kind of that, which is that it can be the hottest shop in the world, right? And good for a whole lot of people, but maybe not you. Totally. And that's absolutely the experience that I had with Wyden Kennedy, I would put in exactly that box. And that's why I say it was it was it was more about me than about them they they were I mean they pretty much were about to be the hottest shop in London maybe it was me leaving that kind of did the final push <laughs> to that spot but um yeah they, they were kind of on certainly very much on the cusp of that they had a really great culture all of that stuff and I think 
that's probably the other thing I'd say. And and probably like one of the major things I learned about that is I think, or certainly for me, I think I'm somebody that does better with trying to make something that isn't perhaps at its best better versus trying to, there's something about the pressure of like a place that's really hot that I'm just like, oh, all I can do is sort of make it colder. Um, and I suppose <laughs> that's like, and different people are going to react to that in different ways. It's also whether you kind of feed off that culture or you want to contribute to making a culture can be a slightly different thing as well. Um, so, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's like, you know, hot shops, are hot shops and they're they're great and we need those as an industry like you need that energy but mm. that doesn't mean it's necessarily for everyone and if it isn't for you it doesn't mean that you're not hot not that i'm hot it, but it doesn't mean that you're not hot it just means that the fit's not quite right <laughs> speaking of hot places here's a segue Vince. uh <laughs> how how did australia come about uh how, what brought you to down under and the land of the, the hot sun um, love, love bought me. So my, um, my partner's Australian. He's, um, he's from New South Wales and, um, yeah, we decided to, we met in London and we, yeah, decided to move back to Sydney. Ooh. <laughs> you hardly ever hear that. It's good to have a little bit of, um, romance again on the, on the podcast. Oh, this good. Uh, Byron Sharp, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Can I just confirm that I've never actually, I've never met Byron Sharp. I don't have anything to do with Byron Sharp. I have read the books. So yeah, I know. I think now my, any potential professional relationship I was going to have with Byron Sharp is probably not on the cards. But uh, yeah. no, no, I'm only kidding. No, he, no. He our DMs though, for sure. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> down, so I'm sure we'll be, we'll be getting a couple of hit-ups after this. Yeah, exactly. Your personality, right? In that where romance goes, you follow a little bit. Like, well, apparently so, apparently so. Although I don't think, yeah, I kind of... That is not anything anybody would have said about me before today. I'm going to put it out there and say. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, look, I mean, that's obviously one of the kind of main joys of my life is is that and, and moving here for love. And, and it's good because now, you know, I moved here because my partner was from here. I probably wouldn't have necessarily done that otherwise. But now I also have, like, I love sydney and i love our life here in australia so yeah and i'm a got the got the passport and everything so yeah hard to get these days the, uh, yeah yeah and i have uh, we've we've got two kids and it's it's really interesting to me because especially the um the elder one she's just really aussie like she's just she's just australian um which is awesome and like cool but she's just sometimes i do just kind of go oh like your experience of life is so different to what I grew up with um, and you're this like little grommety little thing and um, yeah it's great. How so how is the experience different? Well we're again I keep saying lucky but I am I have been lucky so I should acknowledge that but we we're lucky that we get to spend a lot of time outside with the kids they they do get a lot of freedom there's a lot of places to ride their bikes and all that kind of stuff and not to say that i didn't have that in the uk um i definitely did but obviously a lot of the time you kind of didn't want to be outside <laughs> that much um and also 
I mean, as I referred to earlier, I'm sad in a lot of ways. And one of those ways is that like, I'm probably not, <laughs> I probably didn't enjoy the outdoors young as much as I do now. Um, and I think there is just, I'm probably going back to before the current situation, obviously, but there's just more of a sense of freedom here. Like I think as a kid, just there's just space to be free in more so mm. than there is in, in crew. Um, so, yeah. So you ended up at, uh, the home of the long idea BMF. Um, it's a, it's an agency that a lot of people are talking about at the moment, just because they've had so much success mm. over so many years and, and especially in the things that we care about. So obviously the, the effectiveness awards for, uh, for strategists and you've, you've kind of had a big, big part of that, but can you, can you kind of just tell us about when you started there, what the culture was like, how that's evolved um, into maybe before you left to go on your next uh, role? Yeah, absolutely. So I joined BMF in 2008, I think, 2007, 2000, yeah, 2008. Um, and at that point, it actually wasn't the home of the long idea. Um, it was, although it still actually had some long ideas, so we'll probably talk about that in a sec. Um, but it had um, a really interesting statement, actually, which was it's a world class agency that happens to be based in Sydney. And that was quite an interesting way of positioning as well. Um, and look, I mean, again, again, probably joining, pretty much joining a hot shop, I would say. <laughs> so, and at the time, a lot of that work on various lion brands, MLA with the lamb work, um, all of those kinds of things. Um, so I joined, I worked on MLA for a while, worked on P&O Cruises for a while. Um, and then I was really lucky that I'd always had an interest in strategy as I referred to before, like I started to get that interest quite, quite early on. And um, my, um, probably the person the single person who's had the biggest impact on my career and also is an amazing friend is Christina Aventi, who still is um, Chief Strategy Officer at, at BMF. She's absolutely kind of led that and, and the team that she gathers around her is just absolutely amazing and the dynamic that she creates. So she, I was kind of friends with Christina and I spoke to her about kind of my ambitions in, in that respect. And she just was absolutely supportive of that. And Simon McCrudden, who I mentioned before as well. So um absolutely brilliant to have those kind of supporters when you want to make a move like that um so did that and worked on a whole range of things but probably predominantly on aldi um also quite a lot of work on schweppes ffa bpay all kinds of things and just with it it's probably a cliche to say or to some people it would sound like it but it did it did really have a family vibe to it um so which i which i really enjoyed and um absolutely an amazing team of people both in strategy and and beyond and i would say i mean maybe people think i i would say this because i worked there for so long but i think they absolutely deserve every success that they're having at the moment i think it's just really well deserved well, early on with a positioning like a world's class agency that happens to be in Sydney, I mean, if, if you were another agency in Sydney at the time, you probably would have felt a little bit uh, snarky at that uh, yeah. positioning statement, right? So, yeah, hey, but, you know, pretty early on. Yeah, but that was one of the great things about it, I think, was it had that had that guts to it. 
like a bit yeah. of kind of guts and cheekiness and a bit of that edge, um, which is absolutely brilliant. So, and I think, look, I mean, definitely, you know, awards come and go and whatever, but certainly um, there was a lot of, at the time, that positioning was born a lot of success in kind of can and so on with some of those um, clients that I just spoke about. So, yeah, I think um, it certainly was, I think, one of the things that probably really put Australian advertising on the world map. Not that it wasn't before, but just kind of that very line in the sand positioning, I think, was probably a contributor to the development of that. It's it's kind of interesting. We talked to a lot of people on the podcast about these different agency environments that they they started in where they had their most success and a lot of people talk about bunches of misfits kind of getting together mm. and it really like there seems to be these like weird teams that just develop and just click yeah um and that's where the success comes from not necessarily maybe the agency positioning statement or their mission statement or what they set out to do it's yeah. just people doing good work is, is that kind of a vibe that you have today like do, do Totally. I just think it's we work in a in an in a field, an industry, an area where you can have all the kind of help from technology you want and all the, you know, tools and whatever, but really you're only as good as the 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 minds that you've got sitting around a table and the way that you can get those minds to almost to kind of clash a bit but in a really kind of positive way and and work with the tensions that they have and really kind of discuss things properly. Uh, that's, yeah, that's kind of the measure of, I, in my mind, that's kind of the, the measure of what breeds great work. Um, is It's kind of as, as both as simple and as absolutely complex as that. Ali, I want to touch on something you said a little bit earlier, which is, was the transition from account management to strategy. Yeah. First of all, what what brought you into wanting to become a planner um and how how did the skill set differ between the two disciplines well first of all i was really bad at account management i think that was the first thing that was clear and it was kind of like becoming clearer by the day um i think i was all right at some aspects of it but yeah definitely very bad at others um and i also like i just as a side note i think um account management can be one of the really undersung arts of our industry, actually. I think, um, you know, it does kind of cop a lot of flack. And actually, having spent a bit of time in it, I can say it's really hard. <laughs> um, and yeah. when you get those people who are great at it, they really can be the thing that makes a difference, I think. Um, but aside from that, so yeah, I was, I was pretty bad. Um, and I loved the from the more exposure I got to strategy and I made sure that I did get that exposure and I kind of put in some extra hours and effort to get that. Um, the more I did that, the more it just fascinated me, um, especially from the point of view of both kind of the, the numbers side of things, but particularly the kind of human experience and research side of things has always kind of really appealed to me and putting those things together. And just the way that, um, just the way that you can put all these strands together and, and twist that thinking and make it into something new. And I think that's one of the things that certainly Christina um, is an absolute master of. So yeah, I just used to watch that process and just think, ah, oh, that that's kind of where the, where the real interest lies. Um, so, and just connecting those dots in, in kind of new ways. So back to Christina, which he's brilliant, so I could talk about all day, but probably the main thing I would say 
can tell an amazing story, can add an amazing twist, but backs it all up with a real rigor. But you don't feel like you're being rigged at. You know, like sometimes you can mm. kind of, you can sit in a room and you just, you can feel that someone's trying to outsmart you, not add value to the whole thing. Um, and yeah. I think Christina is one of the lucky few people who I don't think could fall into that trap if they tried because she is so smart and the rigors so there, but there's almost a confidence to it that doesn't ever make you feel on edge about it, which is pretty cool. What was it about uh, Christina's storytelling? Like, what, what, how did, how did she craft this story in a way that that made you want to come on, come onto the journey and, and buy in? Were there any sort of, did she keep it short? Did she keep it, you know, simple? Was there a hero's journey? What, what were, what were her, what were, what were her tricks? I don't think it's about tricks of the trade. I think she's a naturally empathetic and funny person. Like, she's yeah. just, yeah. And I think, and, and people have different ways. Like, so for example, one of the other people I mentioned, um, Simon McCrudden, like tells the story in quite a different way. Um, and is also really funny. <laughs> Let me just put that in. Um, but um, yeah, really different. But again, you never got that feeling of kind of being someone deliberately trying to outwit you in a way or out jargon you or, or flummox you to the point that you, that you couldn't go along with the story. And I think that's that's really key. And look, I think that's mm -hmm. probably one of the um one of the things that strategists should probably aim for is kind of you, you know, you do need the rigor and the data and the, all those things are obviously really, really important. But at the end of the day, like if you're not if you're not taking people with you um and kind of mm -hmm. either exciting them or making them laugh or making them ask questions or making them think about something differently if you're just kind of putting up this barrier of stuff that nobody really understands, then what's the point? Yeah. And that's exactly right. It's, it's, the, it's yeah. a barrier, isn't it? Because so, I feel like strategists do fall into the trap of, as you said, coming into the room with yeah. something to prove. They're trying to prove they're the smartest person in the room by saying something like nothing rhymes with purple. I quite like that. I quite like that. No, but I think it's, it's also it's a very human thing to do when you haven't when you probably like haven't had the time to put the thinking that you'd like into something. That's when you put that barrier up. I think, and I think if you can kind of also have the confidence to say that these are the threads I've been playing with, but I'm probably like I'd like some help in thinking about how to put those threads together. Not like, oh, I can't admit that, so I'm going to put up this facade of like complete story based on not a lot, um, which probably is what you'll experience when we talk about the brief later. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to dig into the rigor now. We're going to be like, where, where, where's the actual yeah. rigor in this? And the answer, the answer well, will be nowhere yet. <laughs> <laughs> I find when I'm going through a, a strategist deck and it's just filled with boxes and text, I actually find I get so uh, much less out of it than if it's just a super simple story that's crafted with thought and, and love and, and, and humor, definitely humor. Humor helps. Humor does help. Humor does um, help. But I also think, I don't think you have to be funny to be good. I think that's probably not, mm -hmm. that's probably a bit of a, I mean, I'm not a particularly naturally funny person myself, and it's kind of sometimes you do like if you're sitting in the room with someone who is really funny. Like, there's a there's a strategist who works at our work who's just really really funny, and 
and it's great and it's amazing and sometimes you just think oh like I'm not really very funny compared to you um but you know you kind of have to find your own way and look I, I mean I kind of tend to agree with you but I also do think like it was interesting you said before um about a you know strategy sometimes being seen as like a gang of misfits and I kind of go I think on the one hand that's true but on the other hand it's actually kind of one of those phrases sometimes that people use when it's actually not a gang of misfits it's actually a gang of people who kind of think in some fairly similar ways because they do all think that they do have to be funny and they have to have like a massive picture with a little bit of copy on every single side and it always has to be <laughs> done with it like you can be you can out misfit yourself into a place where you're just as all the same as you were yeah. before you kind of started misfitting um so yeah i think um i think you've got to kind of have room for sometimes for some people it is the boxes let them tell a simple story and i'm not trying to say as i say like i broadly speaking definitely agree with what you're saying but you know some people their modus operandi is boxes and they go from the boxes to something brilliant and you've got to have a bit of allowance for that as well i think rather than kind of this one you know planner as planner as showman funny storyteller like great but not everyone can pull off that way of of operating um and and nor should in my opinion nor should you feel like you have to i'm a very as i said sad fairly boring person who takes joy in some fairly simple things um so yeah we read up uh, a balance the grind article that you wrote and, and, and you had this quote we found super interesting was working can indeed be lonely I'm wondering if you could just extrapolate a little bit on that. What what did, what do you mean by is that is that planning can be lonely or just working or the work in general can be lonely? I think I think strategy planning can be really lonely, um, and I think you kind of have to. It's a difficult thing, right? Because I do think that there's a lot of um, probably one of the dominant threads in the way that we work at the moment is collaboration and working together and all those things which is absolutely right and i i mean when you don't have someone to bounce off or talk to or kind of exchange views with um that can be that's probably detrimental to the work i think there's also points where you have to kind of say this is the point at which i have to take all this kind of insights and stuff that we've bounced around and i have to there's a point where somebody on their own really kind of has to take all of that and make it into a brief or a thread or whatever it needs to be mm. like i think there are some elements of strategy that are a little bit more lone wolf kind of work but then it's about bringing people in at the right moments mm. um i think probably if if i remember that article probably what i was more referring to was um my role now is regional so i was kind of traveling around a lot um you know brisbane melbourne New Zealand um, a bit as well, um, which obviously has some really great things about it. But if you're doing it a lot, it can be that can be quite a lonely existence. Um, and again, you kind of have to find it was interesting for me, like I was finding some of the upsides in that, like I'm not a very I'm really not a great talker on the phone. Um, I'm a much more in person person. But I was finding that I had so much time like in um, 
you know, public transport, getting to the airports or, um, you know, spending time before a flight that actually I was calling, calling, calling more and more people. And that was kind of great. Like, I was kind of, oh, why have I not opened up to this well enough in the past? Um, so definitely some aspects where you, you know, when you feel loneliness, but, you know, so a little bit of lonely can be almost quite good, but you, you know, you do kind mm. of have to hack your way out of it. I've heard that role be referred to as being a seagull before because you fly around the world, get on people's work and then come back home. <laughs> Steal their chips and then I return. You're not doing the thing. Like that that's gotta like especially for you who loves you obviously love strategy, you love doing the work. Have you seen yourself kind of a little bit divorced from from the actual doing? Um, when you went into that regional work? Um, it's been interesting actually, because in there's definitely a, it's a bit of a work sandwich because there's the layer of which exactly to your point is more seagully. Like there are occasions where you're kind of put, brought in at, at a fairly late stage and you're trying to kind of just hopefully not, hopefully not steal too many chips and hopefully add a bit of value, but yeah. But there's the kind of, there's the underneath layer, the support layer where actually a lot of my role is is helping when you know other people are on holiday or there's they're working on a big project so there's almost like an extra body needed um so it's probably been it's been actually a really rich experience of um being involved in a lot of things not very deeply um in every instance there's some things still fairly deeply but yeah getting a lot of just different experiences real speed of going from one thing to the next and in some ways i found that really hard because um a lot of my experience certainly at bmf was on aldi and really kind of getting into the very depths of that that business and really kind of getting to know to know both the business and the um the shoppers who didn't didn't like it but um yeah it's been it's definitely helped me i mean i've learned way more from the people that I am supposed to help, then I think they probably have learned from me, which um, which is good for me, probably not so good for them. But um, yeah, it's been in, in many ways, like I say, like such a rich, such a rich experience to have. So yeah. So I, I think um, one last thing we wanted to touch on, or maybe maybe not the last thing, maybe there's a couple of other questions we have uh, hidden in the folder just, just next to it. Um, but uh, your your time on the Gruen oh, yeah. so obviously that's pretty cool, right? I mean, strategists never got that kind of uh, never got that kind of fame before. We we were never brought on to TV. Well, I say we as if like I've been around in this industry for a thousand years. Like me, but, uh, but uh, I mean, strategists traditionally haven't been the people out there, kind of being in the public yeah. view like they are on the yeah. transfer. So, like, what what has that experience been like? How how have you felt? Um, the process has been for you personally and, and yeah what's what's your take on that whole process like in a nutshell terrifying like there is a moment on Gruen where and I mean I haven't been on it anywhere near obviously as often as a lot of people as some other people have um but there's a you know you do get after a couple of them you kind of get a bit used to the format but there's this moment when you know that you know they're going to about to ask you the question that's going to be the first one directed at you and just literally i just 
I just want to like sink into a hole like quite I just want it there's that moment where I'm like I can't remember my own name like let alone what it is we're meant to be talking about like panic um but then as soon as you kind of as soon as the first words come out and you get into your stride it's just the most amazing experience like I would never have expected that I would have been able to do to take part in something like that and be involved in it and um it's really actually like I've enjoyed it so much even though I've been terrified and like learned so much from it and just yeah absolutely brilliant um I think it does make you think about it does make you think about the topics that you're going to talk about in some quite different ways um but again like talking about like that pressure to be funny um that you do feel you really really feel that really feel that and especially like I said yeah. as somebody who's not kind of by nature super funny you kind of yeah you feel it even more and just oh god some of that some of that pressure just is is probably the most intense that I've probably ever felt that apart from kind of certain pitches and stuff but um but yeah a really great great thing to be involved with do they do they give you multiple takes so if you do faff around a bit or you say something you shouldn't have do you get do you get a re-report if, if it went you can but it's not you couldn't kind of be doing you couldn't kind of go well i slightly messed that word up so let's do that again i mean not not really yeah not <laughs> yeah. really yeah. um and there's definitely yeah. i mean as for somebody who as you two are experiencing as somebody who kind of like embarks on a sentence with no end point in mind it's kind of been quite a good exercise in reining that in a bit um so that's been one of the really great aspects of it but there's just the, like i can just I remember like sitting in the chair and, and as I say, like embarking and just thinking I need to find, there's still words coming out of my mouth. I don't know what they mean. And I need to like yeah. find a full stop. Somebody just give me a full stop. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah. that's been... Will, make fun of me What did you say? <laughs> Will, make exactly, fun of me already. Exactly, just anything, anything. Um, so that's kind of been quite what's that word chastening i guess as well as a good enjoyable thing what does that word mean like um um you learn a hard lesson what are your thoughts on uh, on on the pitch and the brief brilliant loved it so i think we had a chat about that i um i really love i mean you can get interest out of absolutely anything that anybody ever asks you to work on like there is there's something, there's a nugget to be found in anything, is my belief. Now it's time to put your talents to the test. Now it's time to give a scenario to our guests. So what will be a strategy? Break it down, let's see how you do it. Problem insight, strategy and solution. Woo. Okay guys, so now it's time for the brief. And because Max isn't with me at the moment, I guess I'm going to have to read it out. Um, obviously, with shitloads of mistakes, but I'll give it my best go. So, the brief this week is, I can't believe it's nut butter and the product is Nutalex. It's been reported that Australia is the third fastest growing vegan or plant-based population worldwide, with Aussies identifying as vegan, vegetarian or plant-based tripling in the past five years. And brands have noticed... Heavy hitters like Macca's and Hungry Jack's have plant-based versions of their famous burgers, and we all know about the range of fancy barista nut milk. So, we know the demand is there and growing for plant alternatives in cafes and takeaway. But what about the basics, the bread and butter of Aussie diets? 
Nutilex is a vegan-friendly alternative to dairy butter and margarine. It's got no cholesterol, no artificial ingredients, no lactose, virtually no trans fats, and despite the name, Nutilex is also nut-free. Price-wise, there's not much difference between Nutilex and its competitors. It's good for your wallet, your body, and the planet. We're crazy about it. Now, we just need to need you to make Aussies nuts about Nutilex also. The task? Increase Nutilex sales by 30%, and your budget is 200k. For this segment, please respond to the brief in Son of a Pitch's Taking the Piss format, i.e. problem redefinition, insight, strategy, and solution, or in the format of your choice. Cheers. Ali, how'd you go? Well, (laughs) as I said before, I think you'll be able to recognize, I did spend quite a bit of time on this, and then it kind of broke down halfway through. So you'll probably, you'll recognize the point where it gets a bit less, less thought through let's just say um but look i think um it's been an awesome one to work on what a great product like who knew so many secrets involved in this one yeah it's, no, the, it's, it's the nuts in yeah our, our or the dog's the nuts. nuts yeah, yeah. Oh, what nuts? I have a dark secret. I've never actually tried this, but in the brief it says we love it. Uh, I think that was just added in yeah. for a bit of. Bit it's of all context, right. But, uh, it's I've all never right. tried. It. I'm, I'm allergic to nuts. I'm allergic. Oh, I have a nut allergy, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, no, it, it doesn't have nuts. That's the most nuts thing about it. I love it. Um, so yeah, I sh- shall. I, do you want me to just sort of get into the problem, or do you want to like? Well. I, so Nutilex, like what? First of all, like what an amazing name, especially for something that doesn't actually have any nuts in it. And that's probably kind of where I started. Is like this is this is a brand I think where the problem is kind of also its strength because I think in a in a nutshell, see what I did there. The problem is that like, I know Ooh. beautiful, right? That was not not intentional. Um, small niches buy it, but they buy it for what isn't in it. So it's kind of, it is in a category of its own, but it's in a bit of a category of no, like it's what's not there that is the reason why people buy it. And I think that's kind of quite an interesting, you know, normally you've kind of got the opposite, you know, you're buying it for the, where it's come from or what's inside or the extra ingredient or whatever it might be. With this one, it's small niches, like it's, um, there's various religious groups who can use it, people with nut allergies, um, people who can't have cholesterol, people who don't want, there's a special coconut oil version that doesn't have palm oil in it. So there's all these kind of little, quite kind of niche products that you buy for what isn't there. And I think this is a tough category and where it's growing, where the category is growing is in butter. And I sort of had a bit of a think about butter, which I do quite like. I mean, I'm like, I like a proper bit of butter myself. Um, yeah, butter, yeah, butter <laughs> is hot. Um, and, um, but I reckon, like, just to digress for a short moment, butter's a really good example of how, like, we talked about the word authentic before that I just, I kind of have a bit of a stumbling block about, to be honest, because we've got this really dominant narrative of what is authentic. And that is part of why butter's the thing that's growing here. Like it's kind of, you know, it's artisan and it's crafted and it's homespun and it's cow shit and green fields and milk crates instead of comfy chairs and all that stuff is what is kind of associated with butter. Um, and I think it's almost become, it's like when I, if I ever see a brief that's got tone of voice word as authentic, I always just, I can't, 
I, I have to kind of say no to that because you kind of go, you can't, what you're saying by that is write like everyone else is writing because what we see as authentic has become this really kind of this one dominant stream. So, you know, you've always got to yeah. say like authentic to what, but anyway, that's just an aside. So we've got this real dominant butter kind of but kind of narrative. And I think like Lerpak, the work they do is amazing. And it's probably kind of quite a good example of that. Um, but veganism or vegetarianism, but I think veganism in particular kind of has its own authenticity too. Like it's very much about the kind of the purity, the extremes, it's kind of people trying to like outplant each other. Um, and they, I think the interesting thing about some of these niches is that people tend to like want to be in a niche. Like there's kind of a bit of joy to them about feeling a bit special in that respect. Um, so there's kind of a few interesting things there around the niches and around authenticity. And I think Nutlex, when I had a bit of a dig into it, Nutlex is authentic in actually quite an interesting way. So 1932, this thing was created um, and kind of a vision of health, but kind of democratizing health a bit, which at the time was kind of quite an expensive thing. Um, they were always kind of against things like um, the dairy industry put quotas on margarine and they kind of rejected that. So they always had a little bit of like rebellion, let's call it, you know, rejecting rejecting a margarine quota is like hardcore stuff. Um, so it's always been sought out by niches, lots of different niches, and they've kind of played to that. Um, but as I said, usually for what it isn't, like it isn't animal, isn't cholesterol, isn't breaking kind of the rules of kosher, isn't kind of a big overseas brand, it's very much Australian. It isn't made of nuts. And when you put all together, like that is a bit nuts in itself. And I just think there is something because my original reaction to this was thinking, well, they should probably rename it like because your natural reaction to it is to go like it's made of nuts. And also like Nutalex, yeah. like it does just sound like there's some bloke in a white coat mixing it like I'm pouring it like it's a bit like it's always yeah. a bit really wonka, right? So I thought actually, like actually though, let's not change it like that is just actually a bit crazy you'd never call it that if you were making it now so let's just celebrate that and I think what kind of goes with that is that niches in themselves are a bit nuts like it's almost like if you are in a niche audience of some kind it's kind of like you want other people a little bit to see you as a bit little bit nuts or a little bit kind of different to everyone else or you've got that kind of edge of doing things differently doing things your own way and that's kind of part of what being in a niche means um so you know you've got vegans and flexitarians and health kicks or health hops or you know people who can't have palm oil and it's just about embracing that bit of the unusual which i kind of really like so i think as that that insight just linking to that as like find the nuts in the niches um and humans the other thing i think that's kind of interesting if you're really going to be authentic to what it is what it means to be human that's not really so much about the kind of the positivity and the bravery that everyone always talks about like humans are themselves like we are so complex and so irrational that we are nuts so you might as well just like there's kind of an answer staring us in the face in a way that you just want to explain and have the most fun with i think that's what what i would do with it um especially for kind of for the effect that we want with the budget that we've got like you've kind of got to find the the extreme of a tone and 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 go with it and i do also think again slight digression but like tone of voice and a, and how that 
delivers a brand's point of view can be really overlooked, I think. I mean, if I think about my time on Aldi, I would say that one of the things that we got right was having a really clear tone of voice for the brand and tone of visual and tone of action and always delivering that. So it was always about being kind of fairly simple and direct, but also kind of a bit irreverent, a bit unexpected, a bit unusual. And it was always a combination of those factors. And it just creates this really clear spine that, you know, sometimes you might need to play more one edge or the other. But if you can find the kind of, if you can explode that to its greatest extent, you've just got something that can't be imitated. Um, and I just think that's mm -hmm. that's pretty fascinating. So as I said, I, I really like how if we work with this insight of like, niches are a bit nuts being in a niche you kind of have to be a bit nuts and you also you want other people to think that of you then it gives you something to to embrace about being human that isn't just this relentless positivity that we that we get there's a really interesting um yeah. i read this a couple of years ago and it's really stuck with me um t uglow who's at google um she actually she delivered a series of lectures um curiosity of doubts and there's a little book they were made into a little book and one of the things she had in there was like doubt as a real positive. And she, she'd uncovered this bit of research that in old English, so like Anglo-Saxon English. So you see, this is, this is literally the moment in my career where my degree in medieval history has had any form of relevance to anything. Um, yeah, it's all come to this moment, drum roll. Um, they had over 20 words for doubt. And one of them was a verb that the literal translation is to inspire doubt. Like, so it's the doubt was the positive that you wanted to inspire in someone. And I just think if you oh. think about kind of a bit nutso, right? If we're kind of gonna, gonna go with that thread, you can obviously take that strategically and tonally to a place that's quite fun and kind of quite crazy and, and that's good. And, and there's definitely room for that. But you can also take it to a place that's a bit more celebratory of not quite knowing. And I think with Nutalex, like you sort of don't quite know because you think it's going to have nuts in it and it doesn't. And you think it's you think it's a margarine, but it kind of isn't. And you think maybe it's with the butters, but it's not that either. And maybe there's some bloke in a white coat, but there isn't. Like it's kind of just that, it's that thing that you can't quite, like I said, it's this category of no that you can't quite place. So I thought that was kind of a nice beat is to, I wanted to make sure that when we had this insight around, you know, niches see themselves as, as being a bit nuts and they want to celebrate that nuttiness, there's more ways than one of kind of exploding that. Um, and there is just, I think the other thing, I've always loved the concept of kind of awkwardness and how awkwardness can really work for a brand. Like, I just think it's, like everyone talks about, you know, seamless this and one click that, and that's all great. And obviously there's times when that is the way you need to go. But sometimes there's like, sometimes you want the seam, like you want the thing that is like a bit of a, an awkward yeah. corner. Say again, sorry. Dissonance is what Yeah, you exactly. What you notice and what you hang on to and also what you attribute back to the brand. I mean, like a really simple example of that is with Aldi. Like if you, you know, if you did what shoppers say they want you to do, you'd make the Aldi checkout experience really different. And you would have like 65 self checkouts in there and you would kind of make it all um, really different. But actually that is one of the things that makes Aldi Aldi. Like it's a scene that people attach back to the brand that they have their own experience of, that they, they can tell their own story about. 
And I think things like that used in the right way are really powerful. Um, so yeah, there's this awkwardness, there's this category of no, there's this nuttiness yet non-nuttiness to it that I think is just the thing that is in itself not so. So like go nuts so with it. So so in terms of strategy, I'd say, and this is probably where <laughs> you'll see it. Yeah. Anyway, um build it's like I think what you need to do though is not just kind of say, especially with the with the budget, is not just say, okay, I'm gonna keep everything in its niche and just kind of celebrate niches. I think what you need to do is build the nuts out of the niche and give everyone a taste of healthy like give everyone a healthy taste of nutso like so it's kind of it's it's because everyone wants a bit of that niche it's like it was interesting when we were talking before and um one of the first things you mentioned was bolivia right and i and i look back on that and i kind of go like i actually love talking about that partly because i love i loved it and it was a very intense experience but partly because it gives me a sort of niche thing to talk about and I think you do like it's a very human yeah. thing to kind of want those things that make you special. Everyone, everyone wants that. Yeah. So if we can make that, that's something that exists in niches per se. Gone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's just I, 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 I'm just like yeah, okay, right. So we're we're attributing like that thing in your fridge is like is is making yeah. you a little bit different. Yeah. Why therefore. not? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I think so <laughs> because what, why not? What, what I, I kind of just go this the thing in your fridge that faces you every single time, like you open that thing a trillion times a day, that is actually along with your milk and your whatever else, there's actually not all that much in a fridge sometimes that is actually branded in quite a big way. Like, you know, you think about meats and stuff, they're quite often not brands and, and obviously kind of fruit and veg and stuff. So it actually is probably your brand of margarine or butter is kind of something that you are seeing a lot. So why not make that a bit of a symbol of your kind of point of view on life in a way that actually could be reasonably simple for this brand to do? Because it is a truth built at the heart of it that like it's nuts because it's not nuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, and I and again like because it because it. So you said you wouldn't change the name, but would you go as far to change the branding? So when you do open it in the fridge, it is bright and colorful and it's weird and wacky. And you're like, every time you open the fridge, that's a nuts. Yeah, moment. I think you would. I think, I think that's the thing about the, like, if we take that strategy of kind of almost giving everyone this taste of nutso, then you do need to make every aspect of the brand a bit nuttier in that respect. And I suppose that's where what I was kind of mm -hmm. saying earlier, I do think it would be important if you were to do this properly, that you're not just taking nutso in its one dimension. But certainly, you know, like it's not just about ooh, a bit wacky. It's kind of you could bring some other thing other beats into it as well. But I definitely think absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Like you'd need to rebrand it. You'd need to you'd probably need to think about like the shape of the packaging or how that was kind of being delivered um i think it's probably a whilst it is actually it's a reasonably big brand it's also probably nimble enough that you could play with that a bit and i think um definitely it would be there's there's kind of a whole marketing solution versus just an advertising solution here although that might be where you'd start i think it's also um kind of partnerships would probably pay quite a big part of it or, or usages um so you know and could you kind of partner with some i mean this was kind of this is probably fairly first thought but 
you'd almost want to partner with like the meatiest of meaty people. Like you'd almost want like Bear Grylls to be using it or you'd want like a restaurant to be using it as their steak butter or you'd want, you know, you'd want to kind of get to those extremes of proving the nutso, I think. Um, so yeah. yeah, one of the other things I actually loved about it, I was looking at some of their old ads and the way they always used to do it was have, um, they'd have like, I think it was called vegetable margarine, but they made the, the table out of vegetable in caps. And I thought that, like, so it's like vegetable <laughs> margarine. And I, yeah, and I actually kind of, I kind of went, you know what, that is actually really clever because it's, it's not only telling people, it's giving people obviously an occasion to use it, but it's also really normalizing it at a time when it, when butter was the thing pretty much. Yeah, yeah, like this is a table yeah. thing, this is part of your family life, all that. And I thought potentially in terms of an actual solution and where this brand might show up, I think it's probably partly about that not ness and kind of having fun with some of the extremes of that. But it's also probably a bit of the not ness that actually everyday life is just full of. Like if you had this as like your family spread for, you know, mm. breakfast in the morning, but actually that's when, I mean... You know, sometimes it's those chats that the the strangest things happen or the, you know, the not so comments come from your kids or whatever it might be. And I think that's kind of an interesting positioning. Yeah. Like I'd love to kind of I, I do think like it's in some of the um, some of the heritage of brands like this that you can get those those clues as well. That's that's super interesting because as you as you mentioned, spreading the butter on your toast as a morning daily ritual can be yeah. pretty mundane. So contrasting it crazy nut yeah. moments. Is just is just better. Yeah, and I think that's potentially another beat, right? If you kind of own this sense of like not sameness as an overall almost point of view, and you know that you've built it on some brand truths, and you know that you've built it on some kind of human truths as well, like I was talking about, kind of the doubt and the human chaos and all that, um, then you can really kind Mm. of explode all of it. So another interesting way to play with it is like actually it's sometimes in the most ordinary things that the most not so things happen um so yeah i think that would be and and just that that table and just the caps i just i just think that's awesome it's like let's not think about how to make this really sophisticated let's just put table in like capital letters and everyone will get it which everyone did so yeah Yeah. i guess the other thing is kind of like people tend to think people who eat margarine are a little yeah. bit nuts. So that's kind of a nice sense, right? Mm. In that you can you can embrace just being a little bit eccentric. Exactly. Like that's not, it's not Yeah, okay. exactly. and I think that's a nice beat to it as well, right? Is it's kind of, you don't necessarily have to go the whole nutty professor, total misfit, maverick thing. You can kind of just have, everyone's got that, even the most seemingly straight-laced of people have always got that little, there's always something a little bit nutso in there. And I love, I must say, like, from a from a personal point of view, like, when I, you know, you meet a lot of new people, you meet a lot of clients in your interactions and all of that. And I love that moment where you can, like, zero in on, ah, uh, that's the thing for you. Like, that's the little, that's the little nutty bit of you. Um, that's always, like, a yeah. really kind of key moment in forming a relationship with someone, I think. Yeah, the tarnish of kind of like these uh, wholesome moments as well is kind of cool. Like I feel like seeing a nun put chili on her burger is like, yeah. you know, there's something like weird that's like that's not meant yes, to be exactly. what's happening. Like that. That's like, 
yeah yeah and those moments that just kind of catch your brain out a little bit i think that's right and i think like it, it is um i mean it's probably a bit kind of a bit too trite to say that vegan and vegetarianism is is always earnest because it isn't at all and, pe and people are making great strides and kind of finding the joy of that and, and stuff but it definitely i think one of the things i found interesting when i was chatting to a couple of people about this is that somebody was kind of talking about how nutlex like it doesn't feel quite vegan enough to be vegan even though it is vegan like it's when you're a vegan you almost want because of that thing of like i want to be seen as a bit special it's almost like if you can find it in the supermarket amongst everything else in the category, is it quite vegan enough to kind of make me feel that polish my halo kind of thing? And I thought that was quite an interesting tension as yeah. well. It doesn't really do the social signal. Yeah, job. exactly. Exactly. It's almost like I want the extra hassle of going to the health food store to make sure that I've got these things that, yeah, that absolutely signal yeah. me as somebody who's putting the proper amount of effort into being vegan, um, which, that's it. If you can bring your own jar to yeah. put it in uh, that you recycled from your pickles yeah. that you had two years ago, then yes, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Ali, that response was butter <laughs> to our ears. So uh, that was beautiful. beautiful. Thank you. Is that a phrase? Is that a phrase? <laughs> Let's try that again. Let's try that again. <laughs> Ali, Ali, that response uh, was bread and butter or something. We'll something. Some pun oh, about butter inserted here. We're um, about. Brands, and I don't think there's any more brand that's more awkward than the Son of a Pitch podcast. That's, that's okay. <laughs> that's oh, brilliant. Well, you've got friends in us. Anyway, I, I think we'll let you get to your deadline. It's been an absolute Amazing. pleasure having you on the show. This is one of the most enjoyable conversations oh, we've had so far. Ali, uh, before, before, before we let you run, is there anything you want to plug or shout out or... Um, honestly, like without this probably going to sound really like, what's that word, brown nosy, but shout out to you two. First of all, thank you for having me on. And but more than that, like, thanks for doing this. I think it's great. I think like the way that you've kept on with it and the different people you've had on and the 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 chats that you've had, both funny and informative, I reckon it's brilliant. So nice one. Hey, ditto. And if you could um, put us in touch with some of your uh... Your, your friends and mentors, that would be incredible as well. I mean, we mentioned Christina yeah. and the rest. They, they'd be awesome to chat to also. So, yeah, that, that would be cool. And we might chat after the uh, after the conversation on LinkedIn or something. Absolutely. Let's do it. There's no, there's no better place to chat than LinkedIn, let's be honest. Um, so, <laughs> with heavy sarcasm. Thanks. No, thanks yeah. so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. No worries. And tell uh, tell Pagey oh, that we absolutely. said hello. He's well, he's the one. Exactly. He's the one who's very very funny. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. We'll get, get him, him on, on next. Yeah, yeah. Nice one. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Uh, see you, Ali. Yeah, uh, son of a pitch. Yeah, this is something you don't want to miss. Uh -huh. Interviews with creatives and the best strategists. All the top in Australia who steady making moves. Uh -huh. The podcast that puts you right in the pitch room. Yeah, professionals in this market. Uh, time to get it started. Uh, give us some complex problems. So let's see how you can solve it. Tune in with some Aussies. I bet you can't resist. Yeah, yeah, get it hyped. This is son of a pitch. Chilla.